soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today is my gruff but fair commanding officer, my lovely wife, Nikia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Does that make me Tom Hanks? There's there's a conspiracy theory among the internets that he is he has some black lineage in him that tom hanks has black yes. lineage yes there's a whole it's a whole thing what is this based on i mean his blackness um and <laughs> <laughs> people put pictures of him and like other black people together and like tom hanks is is black so uh i will take tom hanks that's fine <laughs> you should look it up. look it up there's a whole fucking thing about it's like stevie wonder can see it's a whole thing i feel like we're already we've already gone off the rails this week i don't I mean, even we, i could go a whole bunch of different directions i wasn't expecting that. that so well i think he may be the only black person in this movie so that's okay okay on today's episode we're sitting down for nakia's first viewing of steven spielberg's ode to the greatest generation 1998 saving private ryan and Nikia, I realized too late that I, I'm probably being short-sighted in my podcast planning, mm-hmm. as I am with most aspects of my life. Okay. Just a couple of months, we'll be up against Memorial Day. A week after that will be the anniversary of D-Day. We're going to have a Veterans Day towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Any of which would have been a good excuse to watch Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Instead, the way this works, since I'm not very organized or sophisticated in my thinking, is I sit down every week and think, what haven't we done so far? How can we mix it up a little? And we haven't done a warm movie yet. So that was the extent of the thinking behind doing Saving Private Ryan now. I mean, with the installation of John Bolton, we I think we can have, you know, <laughs> the, the discussion of war is, is timely. Fair so. enough. <laughs> Okay, well, I mean, part of the reason we haven't done a war movie yet is I don't think you and I have ever watched a war movie together because you don't like war movies. I don't. Every time I'm flipping channels and I come across a war movie, (laughs) you either protest or leave the room. Yeah. Why is that? I just don't enjoy them. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm happy to read about history. And I uh, I think I mentioned last week I took a class on violence and civil strife. And so I've actually watched a number of documentaries um, on various wars. So do you find them upsetting? I mean, I don't know. I, it's, it's sort of one of those things, if I'm going to sit down, what am I going to do with my time in a way that I, I will find enjoyable? Right. And sitting down and watching a war film is just not going to do it for me. I remember it did take many, many years before I got you to sit down and watch Schindler's List. Yes. Again, you're never in the mood for Schindler's List. You're never going to be in the mood. You know what I feel like watching today is Schindler's List. And that's not at all speaking to the quality of a film. It's a beautifully, amazingly well done film. But I'm never going to say, hey, you know what we haven't watched in a while? (laughs) 
Schindler's List. <laughs> so I think that that's what it is. It's just I, that's just never going to be the sort of thing that I go to if I want to sit down and watch a film. We didn't do Schindler's List for the blog. Uh, I think your feeling was you were not going to be making fun of it or that it, that, that would just not be a very enjoyable I mean, conversation. what was I going to say right. about Schindler's List? <laughs> I, you can't shit on Schindler's List, right. really. And I think you have a little bit of that fear about this one, too. I do. Like, make fun of the girl in the red coat? What are you going to do? <laughs> Take the red coat off. Well, you could. It would make you but a terrible, exactly, terrible person. Exactly, exactly. Right. So, no. And so, yeah, I think that's also part of it. In I mean, term- you made fun of The Sound of Music. I don't really see well, what that, the difference I mean, is. That was- Which, too, was a World War II film, so... That movie could have done with some war. <laughs> you were sort of rooting for the I, Nazis in that I was sort of rooting one. for the Nazis in that one. I mean, there's nothing to do but make fun of that movie. I really don't understand how anybody <laughs> enjoys that movie. Uh, but yeah, so this, you know, within the parameters of this project, my role is essentially to shit on things. Well, see, I I, I don't think that's true. And I, <laughs> and I keep saying this to you every week. Like, it's great when you do end up shitting on things because it's very funny. <laughs> But I think if that's all the podcast ever becomes, right. I think people are going to get sick of that fast. If it's you just shitting on things I week mean, after can, week after week. I get week. pretty creative with my shitting. And you have actually liked nearly half of the films we've done so I far. Have, you've actually I have liked, liked a few so. of the films, yes. So, I I mean, I assume that Saving Private Ryan was nominated for Oscars if it didn't actually win. I it was. Know. So, yeah. I mean, and I, it's that st- doesn't mean anything to you either. Well, no, I'm not. I mean, but it's Steven, what I'm saying is, so it's Steven Spielberg, it's Tom Hanks, it's, I, I know that this is a well-done film. It's not a perfect film. I think there are things that you're going to find in it to make fun of. I think that there are parts of it that are almost unbearably cheesy, Well, which we, we, we'll talk about after. Mm-hmm. This is, to some extent, Spielberg's homage to that generation. Mm-hmm. His father served in World War II. But at the same time... It's it's an interesting combination of honest depiction of what war is like, because mm-hmm. it is very brutal, mm-hmm. and wanting to honor the men who went through that hell, right. which is a, kind of a strange combination for Hollywood. It's usually, we're going to make, we're going to glorify it because we're pro-war, right. or we're going to make it look horrible because we're anti-war. Mm-hmm. This is sort of a pro-war horror okay. <laughs> <laughs> combination, which is kind of interesting. All right. Well, let's. I think we'll get in into that more after we watch the movie. Okay. Um, let's let's talk about Spielberg a little bit. Okay. Have you heard of Steven Spielberg? You know, he's made a couple of movies. He's made a few have, films. He's done fairly well for himself. <laughs> he has made thirty-two feature films to date. Oh gosh. His films average one hundred and fifty million dollar box office which is insane right. over a 32-film career. Right. At least three of his films, depending on how you do the math, are in the top ten of all time, which would be E.T., Jaws, and Jurassic Park, with Raiders of the Lost Ark not far behind. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's done very well for himself. <laughs> and apparently, I don't think I've ever heard anything bad about Steve No, Stewart he appears to be a really a genuinely nice guy. <laughs> so which it's is, also just like, He wow. and Tom Hanks are the perfect combination. Right, exactly. they're both like that. Exactly. Like, insanely successful people who nobody seems to hate. Yeah. That's pretty rare. It is. So, yes. What, what have you seen of Spielberg movies? I mean, I've definitely had more experience with his sort of family fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> than anything else. So, like, Jaws, E.T. Um, I think you made me watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is that the one with the melting faces? Yes, it okay. is. <laughs> the fact that you say made you watch... Well, because you did. 
you're the only person on the planet because who doesn't again like that I don't movie. like what's his I have no interest in watching and that him. that was pre unenthusiastic critic which is a shame because we really should have done that for the blog no. or for the podcast no but that was an early and that's when I knew that I had no interest in what is his name I I always forget his name Harrison Ford yes Harrison enough Ford. <laughs> try to get through one podcast without talking about Harrison Ford. <laughs> You continue to insist that Harrison Ford is some great actor and his face does not I think we should move. revisit Raiders of the Lost I will Ark. not be doing that. In fact, listeners, please send us an email nope. if you want us, nope. even though Nikia has technically seen it. So then it falls outside of the parameters of this project. Send us an email if you would like us to do okay. Raiders of you the Lost You have no Ark. integrity, sir. <laughs> anyway, um, the color purple, of course. Of course. Um, Jurassic Park. Probably Amistad, too. Oh, right? yes. Yeah. Give us free. Um, and Schindler's List, I think, is probably most of the stuff I've seen. Uh, oh, Catch Me If You Can. I saw Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I don't think I've seen... He's made a number of films around war, and I have yeah, he's seen got, very few. Again, this is his kind of... He has a little obsession with, with World War II. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you watch interviews or documentaries about Spielberg, like the first movies he made when he was like 14 years old mm-hmm. with a Super 8 camera, it's just, you know, pretty much just like those kids yeah. in the movie Super 8, which he produced. Um, but he made war movies that the footage has survived and I've seen that. Oh They're gosh. actually pretty good. Like Using like little G.I. No Joes? 14, or? No, with re- he used real kids, his oh. friends, <laughs> and dressed them up in outfit. But like the production values and the special effects and everything are really good in these movies. Like you could see the... That's awesome. <laughs> the burgeoning talent there. But yeah, so obviously Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List are the two serious mm-hmm. World War II films. Well, there's more than that, actually. Empire of the Sun, which maybe we'll watch. I, I like that movie a lot. Um, but all of the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies take right. place during the Second World War. Uh, 1941, which was his early disastrous comedy, was set during World War Two. There may be others that I'm forgetting. But then he, after they did Saving Private Ryan, he and Tom Hanks also produced Band of Brothers, the series for HBO. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, which I actually maybe like better than Saving Private Ryan. Like, if I had to save one for the time capsule, Mm -hmm. it would probably be the miniseries. It would probably not be this movie, but... Just because it has more time to tell the story? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So do you like Spielberg? I do. I don't know that I have hated anything of his that I've seen. Did Um, you see E.T. as a child? Yes. Or was that a later... I did see E.T. as a child. I love E.T. Yeah. But I still love E.T. as an adult. I mean, I can watch, sit down and watch E.T. today. Um, I don't think I've seen anything of his that I was just like, oh, that was a bad call there. <laughs> so, he has not made a lot of mistakes. He, he really hasn't. And I know there was, I think there was some sort of controversy around him doing the color purple because it was all like, you know, you have this white right, guy coming in right. and retelling the story. And it's obviously, it takes some liberties from the book and you can make I, I actually find, I like that film, but it it is... A little Spielberg yeah, yeah, it definitely from the novel. Is. The novel I mean, a lot is of much the, more raw. Yeah, it's a much darker it's, book. Yeah, it's definitely been sanded down a bit. But I don't. I, I still. I like the color purple and 
I mean, again, if we're talking about quotable movies, I mean, mm-hmm. I curse people every day with <laughs> everything you're going to think about going to fail. You can't curse nobody. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think I've actually disliked anything he's done that I've seen, which is pretty good. And this is not even mentioning all the movies he's produced right. that feel like Spielberg movies, even though they're not. Like The Goonies. I love The Goonies. Gremlins, Poltergeist. Uh, Back to the Future, which was the first one we did for the podcast. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, <laughs> Men in Black, he was the producer on. So, yeah, he's he's had a pretty good career. Yeah. I don't know. I, I find him an interesting figure. I can never quite decide if he's an artist or just a really talented storyteller and entertainer. Hmm. I mean, I think I think sometimes people like Spielberg or directors like Spielberg get a little bit of, um, you know, they aren't talked about in the same way that somebody like Terrence Malick and where it's just very, right. the hand is very heavy and it's, it is very and, arty. And, and in and, fact, yeah. the same year that Saving Private Ryan came out, mm-hmm. um, Terrence Malick's The Thin Red Line came out and they were both up against each other in the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, obviously Terrence Malick's is the more... Right. Pensive, philosophical, deeper, artsier war movie. I have not rewatched it (laughs) since it came out. I have rewatched Saving Private Ryan a dozen times. Right. So I think that that's what I mean. This idea that, and I think one of the in that documentary that we watched, um, Easy Riders Raging Bulls. I think there was talk about Spielberg came on the scene and he sort of represented this sort of change from these very serious arty auteur types to more sort of mainstream commercial sort of filmmaking. And, you know, is it necessarily that he isn't an artistic director just because his films make a lot of money and appeal to a wider audience? I don't right. know that that's a fair argument to make. Um, because, like you said, I do think you can tell a Spielberg movie. Like, mm-hmm. he has a, there definitely is a mood and a sort of energy around his films. But it doesn't have that sort of, I don't want to call it pretension because that's a negative connotation of some of that right. sort of work from other directors that were in that sort of. Well, some of it is pretension. I mean, some I of it is. But... I think with Terrence Malick, it often is pretension. <laughs> it is, but I actually but... enjoy Terrence Malick. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think I enjoy parts of Terrence Malick. Like, if I could take that piece of that film right. out, I would really, really enjoy this thing. Um, but he's obviously you know, a very talented director. Um, so I think that that's what it is. I think his stuff, just Spielberg's work, tends to be just a bit more mainstream and more um, mass appeal. And it's it's also it it is hard to generalize, and it, because right. he can and has done everything. Mm-hmm. So e- even if you look at just sort of what are considered the fun blockbuster movies, they're all over the map. Yeah. I mean, Jaws is definitely that, and that's the movie along with Star Wars that is generally considered the the first blockbusters, mm-hmm. and you know what changed according to. The, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, what changed Hollywood right. forever away from these artsy movies. But Jaws is a really, really good movie. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and I think that's true of Close Encounters, which is on our list. You mm-hmm. haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. But then we get to something like Jurassic Park. I am not a fan of Jurassic Park. I think it I think it is just a blockbuster. I think it is just a special effects movie. It was a technical movie. achievement. I think the screenplay yeah. is shit. Yeah, the story's not great, but it is a technical um, achievement. And so that to me is like the worst mm-hmm. end of the the Spielberg spectrum. Mm-hmm. When he's sort of just indulging that side, the Spielbergian side <laughs> of him to the detriment of the story. 
I don't know. He's interesting. He kind of fascinates me because there's stuff that the the example I always think of is there's a scene in Raiders of the one of the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies where there's like three Germans lined up and Harrison Ford shoots them and the bullet goes through like three of them mm-hmm. and it you know kills all three of them and it's kind of a comedic slapsticky sort of moment. Right. That same gimmick turns up in Schindler's List where they're lining up three Jews and shoot through them. And it's like, I I don't know why, but that just strikes me as kind of representative of Spielberg. Hmm. That it's like he has this toolbox with all this stuff in it that he can use to these very different Different tone films, yeah. And then you're like, okay, well, who is the real Steven right. Spielberg? Is it well, the guy that's be, showing, you know? Yeah, all those things. Right. I mean, I think more than anything, he is the executive producer of Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain. So that's the, that's the height of his <laughs> career for you, right there. <laughs> that's probably my deepest relationship with Spielberg there. Okay. Yes. I think for me it might be that he was he was the uh, executive producer on Joe versus the Volcano. Oh my god, that so. fucking movie. You and that fucking movie. <laughs> okay, well let's let's just get back to the movie here. So what do you actually know about Saving Private Ryan? I don't know shit about that shit. Um I know that it's World War II. I believe it is Normandy Beach. Um because I do remember hearing that, that that there's an opening scene where I think they are coming up on the beach where mm-hmm. it gets pretty brutal. I do not know if Private Ryan is dead or alive. I don't know if they are searching for a body or searching for a live okay. person to... <laughs> you don't know who Private Ryan is I don't or know why they're searching Private for Ryan, him? Well, or... I imagine he got, you know, maybe prisoner of war or he's lost somewhere. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he has a gal back home who's waiting for him. <laughs> Or if this is, you know, casket with a flag on it sort of thing. So, yeah, I don't really know anything about Saving Private Ryan. Okay. See, I was going to talk about the film going into it, but I think I think we'll just preserve your level of knowledge about it. Okay. As is. Okay. Um, and go watch the movie. So where were you when this movie came out? Were you, you would have been, what? So it came out in 99? You would have been in high school, when I When did think. it come 98? out? 98. 98, 99. I would, so yeah, I was in high school. So not necessarily the film you go see in high school. Okay. I don't know what else was out at the time, but I was probably seeing something else. <laughs> uh, I, I can tell you a couple things that were out at the same time. Okay. Um, one of them was Shakespeare in Love. Definitely did not see that. <laughs> because that's the film that, to everyone's shock, beat Saving Private Ryan for Best Picture that year. Oh, God. So, yes, uh, Saving Private Ryan was the most successful film of 1998. It was the favorite going into the Oscars that year. Um, It won, Spielberg won for Best Director. It won editing, cinematography, sound, sound editing. It was expected, I think, to win Best Picture. And then (laughs) out of nowhere came Got swept by fucking Shakespeare in love. love. Wow. Which I think is yet another appalling crime we can lay at the feet of Harvey Weinstein. Apparently the Weinstein company, I guess it would have been Miramax still at that time, Mm -hmm. but their always aggressive Oscar campaign paid off Mm -hmm. for that one. Which I think everybody kind of recognizes was a mistake. A crime, yeah. Yeah, and it's not that I actually don't hate that movie. I think it's a cute movie. Right. But... It's not an Oscar Best Picture. It's not. It should not have beat Saving Private Ryan for Best Picture. Okay, so what are you what are you expecting from this experience? 
Um, well, I'm expecting three hours of war. It is not three hours. You keep exaggerating. Two hours and 50 minutes? Yes. So three hours of war. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I imagine it's going to be a really well done movie <laughs> and that everybody's going to be great. I mean, I think it has like every white boy actor ever in it. There are a number of white boy actors yeah, in it. <laughs> so, I mean, okay. You're not really looking forward to this I'm at all, really are not, you? I'm really not. I'm really not. Like, I'd rather sit down with, like, I don't know, some tome on World War II than actually watch a film about World War II. I don't know what that is, but I just... Okay. Well, I'll be interested to hear whether it turns out to be a different movie from what you're expecting. Let's find out. Okay. All right. Colonel, I've got something you should know about. Yes. These two men died in Normandy. This one at Omaha Beach. Sean Ryan. This one in Utah. Peter Ryan. This man was killed last week in New Guinea. Daniel, Ryan. The three men are brothers, sir. I've just learned that this afternoon their mother is getting all three telegrams. That's not all. There's a fourth brother, the youngest. He's somewhere in Normandy. We don't know where. That boy's alive. We're going to send somebody to find him. And we're going to get him the hell out of there. Some private in the 101st lost three of his brothers and he's got a ticket home. It's not going to be easy finding one particular soldier in the whole damn war. During the break, Nikki and I watched Saving Private Ryan. Directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Robert Rodat, with fantastic cinematography by Janice Kaminsky. film was nominated for 11 Oscars and won five. Stephen Hunter in the Washington Post called it simply the greatest war movie ever made and one of the great American movies. In one stroke, it makes everything that came before seem dated and unwatchable, and it redefines the way we look at war. Nikia, <laughs> how did you enjoy Saving Private Ryan? Does one enjoy Saving Private Ryan? Um, I enjoy Saving Private Ryan. I think it's a good film. I think the first, you know, 25 minutes or so carries a lot of the weight of what makes it a good film. If it was just the first half right. hour, yeah. it would still be a great movie. Yeah. Um, I think that was probably the most compelling part for me was, was those sort of 30 minutes or however long when they're landing at Omaha Beach and that mm-hmm. whole sort of deluge. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very dynamic, um, chaotic filmmaking in the best way. Spielberg played with a lot of different things, played with point of view, played with sound and sort of speed of the film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the special effects team had a good time. And and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, those sort of 25 minutes or however long it was, I thought was amazing and wonderful and really powerful. Um, And the rest of the movie was it was good. But I think what makes what makes when people talk about saving Private Ryan, I feel like people are talking about those first 25 minutes. I mean, I think there's some truth to that. And I think we should talk about 
when we get a little further in, sort of how those two parts, because there is a definite dividing line, yeah. how those two parts of the film kind of work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure it's the same movie without either. Mm-hmm. But okay, so let's let's start off just talking about that first half hour. Okay. And I guess let's let's leave for now the framing sequence. Let's come back to that <laughs> later. Okay. <laughs> so let's, let's just start with the Omaha Beach scene. Okay. And this is arguably, well, inarguably, one of the most important moments of the 20th century. Of course, yes. Mm-hmm. This is the long-awaited invasion of Hitler's fortress Europa. Right. And if it didn't work, the war was certainly going to go on for a lot longer than it ended up going. Right. Uh, it was the largest seaborne invasion in history. The night before, the Allies had landed somewhere between seventeen and 24,000 paratroopers into Normandy. And then the actual water invasion, the Allies landed around 175,000 American, British, and Canadian troops along these five zones of the Normandy Beach. It was 5,000 ships, 50,000 vehicles, 11,000 aircraft. And this... The film is a fairly, I mean, it's fictionalized, but it's a fairly accurate representation, except the timeline is truncated. Um, I think they were on the beach for hours, and there were some of the beaches, they were spending like five hours trying to inch their way up the beach. But like you said, it's, Spielberg plays with a lot of very, a lot of different techniques here to really give you that subjective experience Mm -hmm. of what it was like to be there. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very different from how that had been portrayed and filmed before, and very different from, I think, what the popular concept of... Storming Normandy Beach. Yeah. Right, that was the language that's right. always used, is, you know, we stormed the beach. Mm-hmm. And in earlier movies like uh, The Longest Day, which was a film about D-Day, um, had an all-star cast with John Wayne and Robert Mitchum and Henry Fonda and Richard Burton. Like, everybody was in that movie. That was probably the most popular cinematic representation of the war to d- of D-Day to date. And in that one, you know, the landing craft pull up and the doors come down and the Americans rush out, <laughs> holding their guns and yelling, yay! And they're running up the beach. And maybe, like, one guy in 20 yeah. gets hit and goes down. Yeah. Um, And the entire Normandy Beach sequence in that movie takes four minutes. Oh, okay. Well. So this was very different. Right. I mean, yeah. So coming to the film and knowing sort of the history of that particular time, we as an audience know that they are, many of them are basically landing to their deaths at this point. um, Because the assumption was that the Allied forces had, I believe, um, bombed the night before and cleared a lot of right, this. That's and, right. You know, because of cloud cover, that had not happened. Right. So they assumed that they were coming into a very different scenario. <laughs> right. And we as the audience. The guys know, landing on right. the beach thought, oh, maybe they hit everything and knocked right. every, all the defenses out, and this isn't going to be so bad. But we as the audience know this is not going to go well. <laughs> this is, um, is going to be a hard fight for you guys. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. I don't I don't know if the audience does or did know that. Maybe not. I mean, yeah. Like, we I had to, yeah. I know. When those doors come down on the first boat mm-hmm. in the movie, and those guys are just shredded. Yeah, Like, yeah. everybody in the boat is just shredded instantly. Yeah. That was a shock to me, mm-hmm. I remember, when I saw that. Mm-hmm. Because it's that that's not really the narrative that we have about storming the beach right. in Normandy. Right. Which I think is a disservice, really, to <laughs> what happened, because... 
they are all the more heroic for sort of going into that sort of scenario. Well, that's, and we, again, we'll come back to this, but I think that to me is what's interesting about this movie. I think I said before that it's this weird combination of showing everything as bad as it Mm -hmm. could possibly be with overall a supportive Mm -hmm. tone about Mm -hmm. the entire endeavor. Yeah. You know, I don't know what Spielberg was thinking, but I think certainly it's like we can't we can't really honor the men who served if we're not honest about what they went through. Right. Which I think was a different approach. Right. I, I don't think it is anymore. I think every war movie made after this one has taken that approach. Yeah. Um, and not really sanitized war. Right. But this this was an unusual right. example. And I know we said we would go back to the sort of framing device, but I think that that's one of the sort of distinctions between the framing device that he chose to use and then what he actually portrayed in right. the, the sort of meat of the film. Right. Because I think the framing device is very much that sort of clean vision of what it meant to be a hero from World War II. Right. Um, And everything was very sort of black and white and clear. Okay, well, I mean, let's go ahead and talk about that then. So So I hated the framing device. Yeah, a lot lot of people did. It reminded me of um, League of Their Own, the opening of League of Their Own, where Uh older Gina Davis (laughs) sort of walks to the the baseball field and sees all of her friends playing baseball, but now it's this older gentleman walking to the graves of uh, the men he fought alongside with his very just Aryan-looking family. <laughs> I, like, they're all blonde. They and were just, all pretty it was much just kinda, It was a very casting. sort of startling kind of... Yeah. You, you have, it opens with this uh, shot of a American flag, right. you know, floating in the wind. And then we have him and his very beautiful family, white family, and they're walking up to the Normandy Memorial... So it was, it had me thinking, oh, it's going to be one of those. Like, this is this is the film that we're about to have is this very sort of right. standard take on uh, World War II. And then, you know, we zoom into his eyes and then we yeah. open on the scene um, at Normandy. And so part of what I enjoyed so much about the landing at, at Omaha was that it was so different from that opening shot, mm-hmm. um, the sort of quote unquote present day opening shot, because it was like, okay, so this is different. Right. But okay, so let's, let me try to defend, because I have the same reaction to it. It is, it does seem cheesy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, part of me just wants to take the framing sequence off the film. And this is an urge I have with Spielberg often. Mm -hmm. Um, The last three minutes of The Post, his latest movie, (laughs) I would like to... (laughs) I, w- I would sit, literally have sat on him to keep him from putting the tag on the post that is there. But giving him the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. this is a, co- a couple things I'll say about that. The first is, I think there are a few moments in the film, the framing sequence most notably, but a few other moments that do sort of strike you as kind of phony yes. and manipulative. The reading of the Lincoln letter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but to me, I'm, I'm glad those are there because it's almost a relief. Um, Janet Maslin said something about this writing in the New York times. She said, she talked about the cemetery scenes Mm -hmm. and then she said, like the cemetery scenes, the capture of a German soldier takes a turn for the artificial, especially when the man expresses his desperation through broad clowning. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that later. But she says, But in context, such a jarring touch is actually a relief. It's a reminder that, after all, Saving Private Ryan is only a movie. 
See, I don't feel like I need that to know that. Yeah, I don't feel like I needed those moments. Okay. So then the other thing I'll say, and again, it's giving Spielberg the benefit of the doubt. I think that contrast is interesting in terms of, if we view this as kind of an interrogation of the national narrative about what D-Day was and what World War II was. So we do open with the narrative. We open with this heroic, very patriotic, Mm -hmm. very brightly colored Mm -hmm. image of this old soldier, you know, at the Normandy, the American cemetery in Normandy. It is very sanitized. And then the film says, that's what we think now. Let's look at what it was really like. Mm -hmm. And then we cut to this, the scene on Omaha Beach, which is very desaturated. Right. Guys are just, the first thing we see is guys just puking in their boats and, you know, being sick. And So you see it almost as like a deliberate dismantling of this narrative that... I think we can see it. I think okay. it, I think that argument can be made. And this is where I, like I said earlier, it's like I can never decide if Spielberg is an artist doing really sophisticated things <laughs> or if it is really just pandering. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it can be read both ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's definitely a generous way to read it. Um, yeah, and I mean, I would have to think of it. Like, if I took those parts out, would it still be... It, it obviously wouldn't still be the same movie, but I think... I might have, like, those parts were just, just rang as sort of false notes mm-hmm. for me um, in a movie that I thought did a fairly good job of avoiding that sort of thing. The When the general reads the letter from Lincoln, or so you just happen to have this letter from Lincoln in your book, um, <laughs> it's just hanging around, and... You know, so he's reading it, and it's a letter that Lincoln has written to a mother who lost her sons um, in the Civil War, and it's, you know, written beautifully in that Lincoln way, and he's reading it as a way to sort of justify this mission to save Private Ryan. Mm -hmm. So he starts reading it, and there's, you know, almost a glow about him as he's reading it, and the music is starting to sort of swell under him, and then he puts the paper down because he's obviously memorized this letter from Lincoln. Right. And so he starts reciting it from memory, and it was just kind of like, really? (laughs) It just felt false to me. One, because does that person exist in the military? I don't know that that person exists, really. That that was General Marshall. That's a real person. I I don't know. Is that? I just... When I think it really would have been, the conversation would have been, oh, this looks bad. We should probably just go get that kid out of here. <laughs> like, that would have been the extent of the conversation. Okay. Well, I mean, again, though, this this is, you're talking about the scene that bookends the unbelievable carnage right. we have seen on the beach. And I do think, I think that's the interesting thing about this movie is the way these different things play against each other. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's so let's come back to that. Let's okay. stay on the beach. Okay, so we're on the beach. So we have what, what struck you about the beach? I mean, again, so it's definitely the transition from the scene, the present day scene at the Normandy Memorial, which, like you said, it was hypersaturated. It's very bright and clean, and then we're thrown into the boats with the soldiers, and they're puking, and it's mm-hmm. just you can almost smell the scene. Yeah. And we see we, this is the first time we meet. Tom Hanks, yeah, and he's obviously you know been through this for a while, yeah. and his hands a little shaky. Uh, and then the doors open, and it is—it's just all hell breaks loose. Mm. It just seems like the doors open, and everybody that's on all those boats just gets shot in the head. It's yeah. just very—he wastes no time in sort of getting you into that sort of moment. 
And we we go from sort of point of view shots where it seems like we're on the boat with the soldiers to then switching and, and looking at the soldiers. There are scenes where um, when they're jumping off the boats into the water, the camera goes under the water with them and we're watching mm-hmm. the soldiers struggle to get their gear off from underwater. We see the bullets coming into the water. Guys drowning. Guys drowning because they can't get out of their gear. And this is all, this again, this is all very accurate. And like the seasickness, apart from just the fact that they were on these damn boats. Right. The army had given out these seasickness pills mm-hmm. to everybody involved in this invasion the night before, which apparently had the opposite effect. Oh, so everyone was sick. <laughs> And it was also Dramamine, so everyone was a little sleepy yeah, and sluggish. It's not good for more. Bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> These guys, they were wearing fucking wool uniforms, yeah. so the second they hit that water, they were like just soaked and yeah. just dragged down. They had way too much equipment. Some of these guys were carrying like 80 pounds of shit. It, watching this, it's amazing that we're not all speaking German. Right. Like, it's amazing that anything Anybody made it out worked. of there. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is a really amazingly filmed um sequence there's you know just carnage and bodies everywhere and there are moments when there's blood splattering on the camera so you get the sort of blood splatter on the screen um and then there's a great moment uh tom hanks has gotten onto the beach and he sort of just sits down and takes a moment and the the sound sort of drops out everything sort of dulls right and he has you know this like sort of moment of like what the fuck is going on what am i gonna do and someone's you know that effect when someone's talking to the to the character but they can't hear anything is almost like they're so that was a really great moment and then you just see bodies and body parts and there's a kid trying to hold in his intestines yeah and the guy, there's a guy on the beach looking for his fucking arm, like walking very calmly as if he dropped his keys. <laughs> yeah. Just like, where the where, fuck is my where, arm? Where, where, where did I put and that? Oh, just, there it is. There's my arm. And he picks it up like, what the fuck? Like, you don't have a glass of milk to put that in. There's nothing you're going to, the arm is gone, dude. It's done. Let the arm go. Um, so, yeah. And then there's a moment where Tom Hanks is trying to save a fallen soldier and initially, he has his whole body. Yeah. And Tom Hanks starts walking He's with him. He's dragging him along the beach to <laughs> see him. Turns around, and there's now half a body. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I guess we're done carrying this gentleman. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was a pretty... It's a very powerful scene. It's just, there's just... It's done perfectly well in that you always know where you are. There's no sort of confusion or yeah. disorientation. His, his, his storytelling it's is amazing. flawless to a fault. But at the same time, it communicates how much chaos and just... Yeah. craziness was in that moment of just nobody knows what's going on mm-hmm. nobody can get through to anyone else right. and so who's in command right nobody knows one of the the sort of things i find frustrating or i found frustrating when i've tried to watch some more films is that it becomes so disorienting and the men are basically just sort of cannon fodder and it's these people on this side and these people right. on this side and then we clash together and it's just like i'm i'm not oriented i don't know where i am i don't know what's happening right and this film um Personally, because there weren't that many battles like structured that way, but did a good job of just sort of keeping you oriented in where you were and what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that has to have been particularly difficult with the beach scene because that was just. And supposedly he didn't storyboard any of it ahead of time. It was just let's stage the invasion mm-hmm. and then you know capture what we capture and mm-hmm. then edit it edit it together later. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really fantastic piece of visual storytelling. Right. Keeping the narrative clear while still infusing it with so much chaos right. and absurdity. And-, and there's just moments you do sort of get that feeling of, I think, 
awe that you wouldn't get in the films that you were speaking about earlier, where it was just, we just stormed Norman, right. we just went up the beach and it was totally fine. You know, here you have someone trying to operate on a soldier on the beach and yeah. it's just like, you're going to get salt in that wound, man. That's not, I mean, <laughs> sand in that wound, it's not going to work. <laughs> like it's, just, it's not going to, but the guy's like, that's what you were trying to yeah. save someone's life on the fucking beach in the middle right. of all this craziness. Um, there's a priest, you know, giving someone their last rites. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I, you better bash the Nazi's head in and think about heaven later kind of moment. Um, and then there's this great sort of when you're talking about the absurdity moment of a soldier gets shot and the bullet bounces off of his helmet. Right. And he takes the helmet off and he's like, oh, that was weird. And then he gets shot. <laughs> and then he gets shot in the head. And he's yeah. like, God damn it, keep your helmet on. So, yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that in there. And this comes back to like my fascination with Spielberg. There is stuff like that that, it, again, it would not be out of place in a lighter movie. Right. Um, the scene where it's when they, they finally get up the beach and they're, you know, at the at the barbed wire. Mm-hmm. And Tom Hanks keeps turning around and talking to the guy, the radio <laughs> operator. Yeah. And he does it three times. He's like, the first time, tell him that dog one is not open. Mm-hmm. And the guy turns away. And then he grabs the guy again and says something else to him. And then the guy turns away. And then the third time he grabs the guy. He has no face. The guy's face <laughs> is caved in. <laughs> and it's like that. It's a perfect comedy setup. It, exactly. Yeah. It's a perfect comedic setup. Yeah. With a punchline mm-hmm. on the third beat. Mm-hmm. And it's it's stuff like that that it's like, on the one hand, that is why he's such a good storyteller. is Because he, you know, uses stuff like that constantly. On the other hand, it just feels a little weird. Right. It just feels like, <laughs> like maybe you shouldn't be. I don't know. But I think it sort of works because it is, I mean, there is something about war that's just absurd. Like, it's hmm. just, it is sort of insane. What you're doing is insane. And so much of it is luck. Yes. So, you know, you get one bullet off the helmet, good for you. Right. And next one's going through, like, and it is, it's tragic, but it's sort of funny in a way. Like, it's <laughs> sort of like, no, oh, that's terrible. But it's, it, it kind of makes sense in the sort of, you know, tragedy comedy of life. But it's just like, so I think it works. I think it makes sense. But yeah, I mean, that, like, those, you know, 30 minutes or however long that sequence is, it's just, it's enough for me to say, you know, I enjoyed Save It Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. It was a, it's a, it's a really well done war film. Right. Talking about that sort of cosmic absurdity thing you were just talking about, there's a few lines, I think that's a theme throughout the movie, and mm-hmm. I think there's a few lines in, even just on the beach, that hit that, like, the medic who's operating on the guy. Mm-hmm. This is Wade. We don't we don't know anybody's name right. yet. We'll, we'll get to know They're these people all They're sort of just archetypes, later. yeah. But it's uh, Giovanni Urbisi's character, Wade, the medic, who's trying desperately <laughs> to save this guy on the beach, and he gets him somewhat stabilized, right. and then the guy gets shot in the head. Right. Just a random bullet just goes through his head. Right. And Wade turns around and starts screaming at the Germans, just give us a fucking chance. Yeah, yeah. And then just a few minutes later, some other random soldier is yelling at Tom Hanks and he's like, you know, we don't have a chance and that ain't fucking fair. And it's like this this concept of fairness. Right. And again, I think this is a way I think this film interrogates earlier depictions mm-hmm. of war. Because I do think that we have this concept 
not in terms of just in terms of war movies, in terms of all movies, right. that stuff is going to be fair. The good guys going to win. The good guys right. have a chance to win. That there's a logic to it. Right. That there's a morality to the universe. Right. And I think Saving Private Ryan makes it pretty clear right off the bat that no, there isn't really. Right. Right. Towards the end of that shot, uh, there's this sort of overhead shot where they sort of. He, he surveys the carnage after they finally clear the beach. Mm-hmm. And it's just this, you know, blood red tide ebbing yeah. and flowing off the beach and then scattered bodies of soldiers among dead fish. Yeah. And it's just it's just an amazingly like powerful moment and powerful shot. And it is just, just a sort of just their soldiers among dead fish. And that's just kind of <laughs> what it was. And <laughs> Yeah, it's that it, it is an amazing sequence and literally every war movie made since this mm-hmm. has imitated the techniques. The camera techniques, it's shot at a just a slight it's not slow mo, but it's just a slightly slower shutter speed. Yeah. So that everything look it kinda gives it that newsreel footage. Right. Like I, I'm almost ready for someone to invent like, this was a new way to show war, and now I'm ready for someone to invent another the new way to step. show war. Because I'm a little sick of seeing that mm-hmm. sort of slow shutter speed effect and all of that. Right. That came out of Saving Private Ryan. Okay. So then, yes. Then they they finally get through. They get... And I think it I think it does a good job of depicting how this happened. Because, again, the plan did not really right, work. Right, And it really did come down to individuals that were saying, okay, we're going to have to figure out a way mm-hmm. to get up this hill. Mm-hmm. You know, Hanks' character, Captain Miller, is fictionalized. But there were guys on the beach that basically did exactly that. Right. And had to improvise and had to figure out a way to just inch their way up and, and get there. So they get to the top and then they're then it's sort of clean up. Uh, and this, again, this is another, this is historically accurate, is that the German defense plan was to stop them at the beach. Right. They didn't plan for anyone getting past right. those bunkers. Right. So once they get up there, then it's kind of just clean up. They're mm-hmm. just wandering around just shooting Germans. Right. And I think... Again, to the to the extent that this is a patriotic movie and it is pro-American, pro-cause, mm-hmm. I also think it's interesting. There isn't a lot of honor in what they're doing up there. No. They're just like, like Germans are trying to surrender and right. they're just shooting the Germans. Yeah. Who's the Moment, good guy? Moments like when they when the flamethrower clears out the bunker and the Germans are falling out the window Don't burning, shoot them, let them burn. Somebody yells, right, don't shoot them, let them burn. Mm-hmm. Again, Spielberg shows this very ugly side mm-hmm. of warfare where the Americans are not always honorable and decent and good. Right. One of the things I thought was really interesting was that there were no subtitles for the German... Were there any subtitles for the German soldiers? No. So then you also get this feeling of men just yelling at each other. Like, there's Mm -hmm. no communication happening. Right, there's no dialogue. Right, it's just one armed faction yelling at another armed faction, and and then it becomes... The only way we're telling difference or who's wrong is... By foreignness at that point. Right. Um, which I think is an interesting... And, and when when Steamboat Willie's trying to communicate, all he can do is throw out... Right. Americana, American pop culture. Betty Boop. Right. Betty Grable. As a way to sort of communicate al- alliance. And in fact, I've read... You can go online and find people who have translated some of the, oh. the stuff that was said. At the beginning, after, the, after they've taken the beach... The Germans that are surrendering, mm-hmm. um, a couple of them are saying, we're Czech. Oh. Meaning they were... They were conscripted. The Nazis captured these guys and made them fight. Right. 
and nobody cares. Right. The Americans don't care. They just shoot them. And we as an audience, because we don't know that. Right. We're in the same position as the soldiers. Right. right? There's a moment later uh, in the film where uh, the interpreter, I don't remember that character. Upham. Upham. Where they come across the, the German weather station, so they take it out. And there's uh, one German soldier left, and Upham is making the argument that, you know, we, and that, of course, all the guys want to kill the German soldier because he's killed Giovanni Ribisi's character. Right. Um, and Upham is saying, you know, well, that's against the rules. Like, we don't, he's surrendered. We don't kill people who've surrendered. And and the other soldiers are just, you know, like, what rules? How? Why are we talking about rules right. at this point? Like, you know. And it and it is absurd when you think about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we just killed four or five German soldiers in combat. Right. And then there's this one guy, and it's like, okay, now his life becomes sacred. Right. Or not. Right. But I do I think that's the question the entire movie is asking, mm-hmm. right? It's what is the value of one human life in all of this chaos? Right. And what is the value of one decent act mm-hmm. in all of this chaos? Right. And I do think it comes back to that, the sort of the concept that America has about itself and how we fight wars. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, really, the entire mission is ridiculous. As the men keep saying right. throughout the entire movie, it's it's based on a real, it's not based on a real mission, but it's based on a real, it was the Nyland brothers, again, four brothers, and three of them were killed in action. Mm-hmm. And the fourth one was sent home. There was not a big mission to go find the fourth guy, okay. but I think that was the genesis of this story, is the story of the Nyland brothers. But yeah, it's this its this thing that on one level you say, well, of course, the family lost three sons. Right. Naturally, we want to save the fourth one. But then you're like, well, okay, other families only had one son. And they lost it. And yeah. they lost it. You know, that's what Rybin says. He's like, I got a, hey, I got a mother. You right. know, you got a mother. Right. Like, what the fuck is this guy worth? Right. And, I mean, Tom Hanks, I think he pretty much lays out the sort of theme. Uh, he and... Um, Tom Sizemore. Yes. He Sergeant and, Hovarth. Yes. He and Tom Sizemore are having that conversation in the church in yeah. this very sort of quiet moment that, to me, that was the relief moment versus yeah. where he has this, the, you know, they talk about, you know, as a captain, it's the choice of mission over man, basically, is saying, you right. know, am I, I, you know, if I have to lose one to protect 10, then I'm going to lose the one. Right. He says that's how you justify. Right. That's how the sort of, again, the, cosmic balance of it is. Sacrificing the man for the mission. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, so I think that that was a through line throughout the entire film. And what I found interesting was that there actually wasn't a lot of there weren't these moments of we're fighting, you know, Nazis and we're fighting these terrible Germans and, they, you know, there's they're committing genocide and this is why we're doing this. Right. It was, we have a mission. There wasn't this sort of big right. picture sort of discussion. It was like, oh, I well, have- part of that is the, the extent of the Holocaust was not widely known mm. even at that point. And in fact, I feel like the the scenes with the Jewish character um, Adam Goldberg, Adam Goldberg's mm-hmm. character Melish, he seems to know right all of that, and I'm not sure he would have at this time. Okay, there's a scene in the Band of Brothers miniseries that Hanks and Spielberg did after this, where they come across a concentration camp, and they don't know what it is, and they're you know asking the prisoners, "Are you criminals? Like, why are you locked up here?" And they're like, no, we're Jews. Mm. So that was not widely known across the entire Allied forces okay. at that point. But it is, yeah, the the movie doesn't demonize the Germans. There are little moments of like humanity right. with the German soldiers, not just Steamboat Willie, <laughs> but 
early in the film, there's the sniper right. who shoots Vin Diesel. And he pauses. Right. Vin Diesel's down. He's wounded. And we see him sight to shoot Vin Diesel again. Right. And he doesn't do it. Yeah. And then he gets shot in the eyeball. Because <laughs> it's war. Because <laughs> Jackson, Barry Pepper, <laughs> wins the, the sniper duel. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, I don't know how to approach all of this. There's a lot. Let's let's talk about the characters a little bit. Okay. We can start at the top. You want to talk about Tom Hanks? I mean, I, I just, Tom Hanks is, you know, it's such a cliche to say at this point, Tom Hanks is a treasure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Tom Hanks is a goddamn treasure. I thought he did a really amazing job. Yeah. He, and you and I talked about this a little bit, he just has a quality as an actor that I think is very rare in that he can portray the sort of everyman and yet still somehow seem better, seem elevated. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the best of us. Um, I think it's similar to uh, Jimmy Stewart. They just both have that sort of energy about them. Yeah. No matter what role they're playing, we're just you, there's a decency yeah. um, about them. And that obviously very much came in handy in this particular role. Especially when, you know, you watch these movies and you see these characters as soldiers. But he's an English teacher. Right. He's like, I right. taught That's, English composition. There's, there's the big mystery right. throughout the movie of, of who, where he's from right. and what he did for a living. And he finally confesses. He's right. like, yeah, I taught English composition. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an English teacher, you know, trying to basically get his men, complete the mission and get as many of his men as possible out alive without, you know, the help of a well-organized military mm-hmm. campaign. He's just, we're just going to have to wing it and we're going to have to make these decisions along the way and... You know, questions of whether or not these decisions are right or wrong become very complicated in the scenario of a war. But yeah, I love Tom Hanks. I think he was really affecting and he had some really interesting moments. Again, that scene with him and Sizemore in the church, I thought was really mm-hmm. well done. That's that's the first chance we really get to know yeah. any of the characters. Yeah. It is just a just a quiet repast right. between battle scenes and between the more chaotic scenes. Right. Wade, Giovanni Urbisi's character, has that very strange and yet very affecting monologue about his mother. Mm -hmm. It's just weirdly disturbing. It is very, and it's just like, I don't know why I did that. I don't know. And so, yeah, that's a a powerful, and even when he dies at the uh, weather station, Mm -hmm. that was another really powerful moment for him. Mm -hmm. Um, He's like calling out for his mother. Yeah. So, yeah, he was really good. Which apparently, I can't remember where I was reading it. It was somebody saying that they they always thought that was a movie cliche mm. when soldiers cried out for their mother, mm-hmm. but that real soldiers will tell you, yeah, that's what. I they, mean, that's what. That's you, what, what the fuck you're gonna do? They, they yeah, call out I want to go home. I want to see my mom. To this almost childlike yeah. state at that point. Yeah, I don't think it's a false moment at all. But then the rest of the guys, I kind of felt were outside of um, Upham. I thought yeah. the rest of the guys were kind of just stock, like, sarcastic Italian guy. And, yeah. You know, didn't, I mean, Edward Burns had the weird thing where he prayed before he would shoot people or whatever. No, was. not Edward Burns. Uh, Barry Pepper. Barry the Pepper. Jackson. Yes. <laughs> the <laughs> sniper. Yes. Um, so that was sort of his thing. Right. Um, but everything else was sort of... I well, he's, like- he says early in the movie when, he's, when, he, when they're all griping about the mission, he's like, you know... God made me an instrument right, of yeah, war. Right. And he says it jokingly, but you sort of get the impression that's what, no, he, absolutely what believes. he believes. Yes, no, he yeah. is the sword of God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, and then Vin Diesel has the moment when they come across the family where he wants to take the little girl and kind right. of save this little girl. And it's just, and again, the sort of, the tragedy of war, it's like, she, we can't do that. We can't right. take her with us. Right. And, and 
the terrible decision that her father has to make to say, okay, we'll take the girl. We have two other children. Tom Hanks has one of the key lines of the movie where he says, you know, we're not here to do the decent thing. We're here to follow fucking orders. Right. And that's just, so what is war? And it's just like, um, going back to that, if you could do one decent act, does that make it all worth it? And then what decent act is worth risking the lives of your men because Vin Diesel dies at that moment. Right. And then he has his own little, you know, powerful death scene where he's, Lifting up a letter that he wrote to his dad, yeah. and it's bloody, and he's just like, "Can you just take this letter to my dad?" And that letter is interesting because it keeps everybody that from gets it dies. Right. <laughs> Don't take the letter. <laughs> Fuck it. No, no, it's not. Yeah, no, it's not. No. <laughs> Don't take the death letter. But yeah, so that was a moment. I like I like how that little French girl just slaps the shit out of her because, father. Damn, he's dude. He's trying to save her life. But still, I want to stay with my family. <laughs> if we're going to die, we're going to die together. She's frightened. <laughs> so, yeah, there are these little moments that feel like for all the like realism of the film mm-hmm. and all the sort of there's no order to the universe of it. There are these little moments that feel like these kind of mythological mm-hmm. things, like the letter that passes from man to man. There's little moments like Vin Diesel, when he takes that little girl, he gives her his cross. Yeah. And then he gets shot right. almost immediately thereafter. So there's stuff like that in there that it's right. not Talismans, it's not a completely right. realistic film. And then with Adam Goldberg's character, as a Jewish soldier, he sort of gets a couple of moments yeah. where... Um, when they recover the Hitler, Youth, the Hitler knife. Youth knife and he has, you know, a breakdown yeah. over that. Um, and then there's a scene where there's a group of uh, surrendered German soldiers. Yes. And he's sort of taunting them with yeah. his star Juden, David Juden. and saying, you know, do you know what I am? I'm Jewish, yeah. you know. And uh, so he has a couple moments like that that I thought were um, sort of interesting and powerful. Because, again, that's that's really the only time that we come across the idea of what we're fighting. Right. right. Like we are fighting Hitler. We are fighting Nazism. We're yeah. fighting, fighting this very specific thing. Um, and I think those are sort of the only times where it's like explicit in that way. Um, well, okay, and here we're jumping way ahead, yeah. but let's go ahead and... Um, his death scene is interesting, too, Mellish's yeah. death scene, because, to me, that is Spielberg's statement on the Holocaust. Because mm-hmm. you have Upham right on the stairs, does, doesn't go up to hell. Yeah. And that's what... So the fact that this Jewish character was being killed up in that room while the soldier was just not helping, was right. just standing by... I think it's a statement on America not getting into this war a lot Soon earlier enough, than yeah. we did and all of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Upham was an interesting character because it's easy to hate him yeah. and say, you fucking coward. How could right. you do that? And he is, he's such a weasel he's in such that a, last you know, battle. But he also tells you who he is at the start. When Tom Hanks <laughs> first goes to recruit him, you know, he has a moment where he's like, I'm an interpreter and I do maps. I've never... Shot a gun since training. I right. know, obviously does not want to get into it. Yeah. Well, but I think in war films, but that was true of all of these of course, guys that when was they got there. Right. Like these are citizen soldiers. These are absolutely. not professional soldiers. But I think sometimes, and again, this is going back to the sort of our mythology around war and our mythology around soldiers is that you will rise to the occasion. Right. You will become the hero. You know, you can be the English teacher and all of a sudden you're leading a platoon of however right. many men and you would do the mission. And I think there are probably more people than we want to admit who would be up on. Who are like, I, no, absolutely. I need to find a place to hide just to ride this out until right. help arrives. 
I I like to think I would be Captain Miller. Right. Maybe I would be up on. I don't know. And thank God I never had to find exactly. out. Exactly. But yeah, it is it is completely understandable that urge when he's just leaning against a wall Crying. and it's like he's yeah. safe for a second to just stay there. Mm-hmm. And you know what it would take to leave that one square inch of safety right. to go back into the fray. Yeah, not everybody's going to be up for that. Right. Not everybody's going to have what it takes to do that. Right. And yet, I do think, and it's part of how we watch movies, we judge him pretty harshly for that. Yeah. I think when the when the planes finally come in at that last scene yeah. and start bombing the Germans and their tanks, he finally gets up with his gun and faces the German right. soldiers. Right, and like, acts like, like he's the tough guy. Yeah, I got you now, fuckers. And just like, bitch, <laughs> <laughs> you have done jack shit. Right. <laughs> but it's, it's real. Like, and then he shoots Steamboat Willie. He shoots Steamboat Willie. After having argued. Which his... was against the rules. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's talk about Upham some more. So, yeah, from right from the beginning, he's he is not a fighter. Mm-mm. He's a writer. He's writing a book about the camaraderie <laughs> and the brotherhood of soldiers in combat. Right. And I think that turns out to be, again, this is, the, it, it, again, it's sort of challenging some of the narratives, I think, is that, you know, he's trying to tell the other men that, and they're like, fuck you, you right. little rat bastard. Right. Like, don't fucking talk to me. <laughs> and what the hell do you know about anything? Camaraderie in battle, right? Right. <laughs> And then, yeah, the in the the attack on the weather station, which is kind of a turning point in the movie. That's mm-hmm. where things get really bad. Mm-hmm. The camera stays with him completely during that entire fight. Right. And that whole attack is interesting because it's Ryben and Jackson argue, and they're right. Like, this is not our mission. Right. This is not what we're supposed to be doing. And Hank says, well, our mission is to win the war. And it's almost like because they they've all they all resent being sent on what is basically a PR mission. Right. It's almost a little mutiny where he's like, "No, actually, I want to do what I was sent here to do. Mm-hmm. I actually, would like to be a real soldier and mm-hmm. do something here." But yeah, that ends up costing them weight. So let's see the death. So Caparzo dies in the village when he's trying to save the girl. Right. Is Wade the next one that gets killed? I Wade guess. is next. Yeah. Wade is next. So the, yeah, at the weather station. And he's the medic, which sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of need him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's interesting that those two moments, those two soldiers sort of die in these sort of moments of, you know, grace, right? Of sort of extending themselves beyond what they technically were supposed to be doing. Right. With Wade, the weather uh, station was not their mission. They could have gone around it. They didn't have to deal with it. Right. Um, and then Tom Hanks is like, well, we're going to deal with it. And then nobody wanted to volunteer to sort of take the path that yeah. Wade ends up taking. And then yeah. he ends up dying. And then with Caparzo, Vin Diesel's character, it was extending this moment of grace to this family and trying to save the daughter. And then he dies. And right. so, again, we come back to this, you know. So is the lesson, don't do that? Right. What You know, well, then, but then you have Sizemore who says, you know, we're just trying to get out of this thing. And if I can get out of it doing one decent thing. Right. Then I feel like it's all been worth it. And, and yet, you know, when these men have tried to do sort of the decent sort of extra thing. Right. It, it, it has cost them their lives. But some of this does up them managing to convince Tom Hanks not to kill Steamboat Willie. Right. Steamboat Willie ends up killing Tom Hanks. Right. I mean, and it's interesting. It, which is exactly what Ryben and the other guys were saying. He's just going to go like, back and join. He's just going to get thrown back yeah. into circulation and we're going to have to deal with him somewhere else. Right. Right. I mean, Upham has a really interesting sort of um, moment 
in that that weather station scene where when they're arguing about whether or not to kill Steamboat Willie and the 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 soldiers are about to like basically shoot him where he stands uh of them says something like what is happening like he right. sees this sort of turn where you know we're no longer he's just sort of like we're no longer soldiers we're now just becoming murderers right um, but that's actually been happening the entire right again movie. that is like he you just, are he just right. hasn't seen it he still has this noble idea right, exactly of what war is like right. and so you have this idea that okay well maybe up is supposed to be sort of the conscience of the film but then mm-hmm. you get towards the end and you hate him. And you're just like, actually, you're just a pussy. And I told like, writers, you have these ideas of what war is. You have these ideas about right. morality. When shit hits the fan, where are you and what's happening? Right. I think that's an interesting moment. And in that same scene, you know, they decide to let Steamboat Willie go. And in a sort of justification for that, Tom Hanks says, you know, every man I kill farther away from home i feel right so it's like this is you know recognition that killing someone it changes you right you are not the same person after that and so again right. you know is that a right choice or a wrong choice and is there such a thing as right or wrong in and, war and that comes back to what tom sizemore says he says uh, something like saving private ryan may be the one decent the thing. one decent thing we mm-hmm. were able to salvage out of this mm-hmm. so you know the entire experience is about killing people we're trying to save one person. Right. Even though it doesn't make a lot of sense. It does not. <laughs> and Private Ryan doesn't think it makes any sense no. when, when they finally find him. Yeah. Let's talk about Ryan. <laughs> we we have seen his home earlier in the movie. Yes, it was a farm. <laughs> Which is the most cliched. Perfect idyllic Norman farm. Norman Rockwell yeah. type. Yeah. Firm. Like when you picture the home of our boys mm-hmm. overseas, like that's what you picture. The long winding road with a car yeah. driving up with the telegram. The mom in the kitchen wearing an apron yep. and it's like it's yes. Yeah. It was perfect. <laughs> perfect. And then, yes, we have Matt Damon yes. in one of his first roles. He was an unknown when Spielberg cast him, and he deliberately wanted an unknown. Mm-hmm. He wanted someone that... Who looked like a corn-fed white boy from who Iowa. looked like a corn-fed white boy from Iowa, but who was not a face right. that people would recognize, because the whole point of it is he's just a random anonymous soldier. Right. But then, before the movie came out, Goodwill Hunting came out, and Matt Damon was suddenly a star. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of unfortunate timing on this. But yeah, when they finally find him, he says exactly what the soldiers have been saying. He's like, this is stupid. Why, mm-hmm. why have you gotten two of your guys killed to save one guy? Right. Um, and it's actually more people than that that get killed. <laughs> like, when they're in the village with Paul Giamatti and Ted Danson, mm-hmm. that scene, they're sending runners through... Hostile territory. The wreckage. Right. And the runners are getting shot. Yeah. And it's like, all these guys are people who would not have been killed if we hadn't been trying to save this one guy. Right. But yeah, he says he says it's ridiculous, and he says, I'm not going home. Right. And he, again, restates what a lot of... What soldiers under Tom Hanks was saying, which is, why do I deserve to go home anymore than the rest of these guys right. who have been dealing with this shit just as long as I have? Right. Then we have another problem. We're gonna stay here and protect this damn bridge. Yeah. Well, we sort so we sort of get this merging of the PR mission and the real mission, right? Where okay, we're gonna stay. We're gonna try to protect Private Ryan, but we're gonna try to hold this bridge, which right. is actually way more important <laughs> than saving Private Ryan, right? So you want to talk about that last battle? Sure. So they are basically trying to set up a siege for the incoming German tanks. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they are low on supplies <laughs> yep. and low on men. Uh, they are basically bringing guns and sticky bombs to a tank fight. <laughs> uh, and... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so you have this sort of montage of them sort of setting up whatever they can kind of cobble together. And Edith Piaf is ringing out in the streets, which I thought was a really lovely moment. And then you again have these moments of the groups of men sort of talking and having this sort of moment Mm -hmm. of camaraderie before the shit hits the fan. Two, to my mind, varying success, those scenes. Mm -hmm. Matt Damon's monologue... About his brothers. About his brothers yeah. and the barn burning down yeah. and all of that. Does not work for me at all. <laughs> um, it was improvised. Apparently Matt Damon improvised that. Oh. And knowing that, if you watch that scene, you can see Tom Hanks look at Spielberg oh. off camera. Like, really, are we doing this? <laughs> he does it like two or three times during that speech. You can see him look <laughs> off at the director. <laughs> Like, are you going to yell cut, or are we just going to roll with this? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of those stories that the person telling it is laughing really hard about it, and you're just like, this isn't, I'm not getting right. whatever joy. But I think he's supposed to be a little hysterical. No, I, he little, is, but, but yeah. It, it, that's one of, again, one of the moments that just strikes me as phony. Yeah. It's just from a different movie. Yeah. I think there's an extent to which that character feels like he's in a different mm-hmm. movie than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, there was... Spielberg made all of the actors go through in it like an intensive week long boot camp. Mm. So they all got to know each other and they all and it was apparently it was much I mean it was only a week long, but it was much more intense and unpleasant than they were <laughs> expecting it to be. It was like we're gonna put you through some shit. But he didn't make Matt Damon do it mm. because he didn't want him to know all the other actors and he wanted them to resent him. Right. That like he didn't have to go through that. Yeah. So I do think you feel that, that he's, like, just slightly out of touch with the rest of the movie. Well, when we come upon him in the movie, it's like, you look really clean, dude. Yeah. (laughs) We've been slogging through shit. Yeah. But, yeah, so, uh, let's see. Jackson gets blown up in the bell tower. Yep. Um, Mellish gets stabbed to death by the German soldier. Mm Mm-hmm. Who... I like how he just walks by up him on the way out. No threat at all. He's like, you can't even be bothered to kill you. Sergeant Hoverth gets shot a couple times mm-hmm. and finally dies. I like the scene where he and the German are like throwing their helmets at each other. <laughs> like both their guns I'm jam. out of bullets. <laughs> like, I gotta find a way to knock you throw down. Throw my helmet at you. Yeah. Um, and then Tom Hanks finally gets shot by Steamboat After shooting Willie. at a tank with a handgun. <laughs> yes, futilely. Yeah. So let's see. Out of the original eight, I guess Rybin survives... And up them. Up them. Of course, survives. Up them. I mean, the person that hides is going to make it out alive. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. <laughs> that is how it happens. And Rybin, I think, probably does not survive the war because we see him take Caparzo's letter. He does letter. take the letter, so yeah, he's dying. That's yeah, a dead man walking right there. He goes back into war. Up probably goes back and makes some more masks. <laughs> writes his novel in which he was the hero. <laughs> Titled, I Pissed Myself. <laughs> <laughs> No, title, How I Stormed the Beach in Normandy <laughs> and Rescued This Guy. Yeah. So then we have the moment where Tom Hanks is dying. Matt Damon is there. And he whispers to Matt Damon, earn this. <laughs> Which is like, what the fuck? 
that is some hoodoo on your ass. Like, you do not want a dead person telling you to do shit because you have to do it. And you're going to fail. You are not going to rise to the occasion. Like, no. Like, earn this. Earn all the deaths that have led to you being able to go home to your nice little farm. Nothing you do. Now if I die before you, I am totally going to say that to you. <laughs> earn my this. Like, it's just a shitty, it's a curse on your life. Like, it really is. Because this is, well, what the fuck? What are you going to do? What did Matt Damon do? He went and had a very white family. That's what he did. Lots of blondes. Well, and he said when we come back to the framing sequence, he says to his wife something like, you Was know, I a good man? Yeah, right. Probably Tell me I not. was a good man. Probably not. Yeah. You know what you did? You talked to a black woman about what diversity was. That's what you did. <laughs> you talked about how some men don't rape. That's oh, what you did. Okay, we're not going to get into the Matt Damon thing. <laughs> Matt Damon's not worth it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, so that's a terrible thing to do to someone. But I think the point of it is that we are all supposed to Private Ryan. We right. are all supposed to the sacrifice. Look at what these men went through and We didn't. <laughs> we didn't earn it. We didn't earn it. We're shit. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't earn that's it. not very patriotic. <laughs> well Yeah, we're not gonna get into that. But <laughs> you know, lots of those men came back from war and lived in, you know, segregated communities and joined up with the KKK and lynched black people. So. <laughs> oh, you wanted to say something about the black people in this movie. Oh, right. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was looking for the black people for the whole movie. I knew there weren't going to be a lot, but I was looking for any black soldiers because there were black soldiers involved in World War II. Are there any on screen in this movie? Not that I saw. Again, I mean, I you would have to go back and sort of comb through the footage, any. but I really don't. And I feel like that would have stuck out to right. me. Um, I didn't see any. Um, and so I went and I looked to see, you know, what the sort of the presence of uh, black soldiers during World War II, specifically in Normandy. Um, and what I found was that the 320th Barrage Balloon Battalion was the first African-American unit in the segregated U.S. Army to come ashore on D-Day. Okay. And they, if you recall the the scene where we're on Omaha Beach... At the end, there are these... Uh, right, Tom Hanks looks out over the beach right. at all the carnage, and there are the barrage balloons. Right, are... the barrage balloons are up. Those are the black soldiers. Okay. That was there. Good to know they were there. <laughs> so they're sort of this sort of, like, marker for black soldiers. Um, it's those sort of silver balloons floating over the beach. And I don't even... I don't fault Steven Spielberg for not having... I mean, the units were segregated, right. so it wouldn't have made sense to sort of throw in a black soldier with Tom Hanks's group or anything like that. There, there maybe could have been some scene, just like a, a shot of the African-American soldiers on those ships with the barrage balloons, mm. just a sort of a recognition of that they were present. But yeah, so I mean, that's, yeah. But again, he was telling a very specific story, so it's not even something that I walk away being, you know. You're not pissed off about it. I'm not it. pissed off about it, right. but, you know, it, I feel like, it, you know, it could have been a fairly easy sort of mm-hmm. nod to the very real presence um, of African-American soldiers who also lost their yeah. lives. Um, at Omaha. So, yeah. Well, and I think I think movies like this also get criticized because... They don't tell everybody's story. They don't tell everybody's right. story. I think Americans tend to think of this as something that America did. Mm-hmm. And we ignore the fact that there were British troops and Canadian troops right. doing the same thing down the, down the coast. Right. And we don't talk about the fact that we got into this war way too fucking late mm-hmm. and could have, could have been involved a lot earlier than we were and stuff like that. Um, which all, all of which I think is fair. I do think that's, I mean, it's, it's not the story that Spielberg was telling. Right, right. 
And I think that's another thing that's interesting about this movie is that it, on the one hand, it's epic, and on the other hand, it's actually just it's a, a small, small story. It's a micro yeah. story. All right. Well, let's 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 look at a couple of reviews. Okay. Uh, we always like to invoke our patron saint of Chicago, Roger Ebert. <laughs> Ebert said in the Chicago Sun Times, Spielberg and his screenwriter Robert Rodat have done a subtle and rather beautiful thing. They have made a philosophical film about war, almost entirely in terms of action. It is possible to express even the most thoughtful ideas in the simplest words and actions, and that's what Spielberg does. What do we think of that? I mean, as always, Ebert is right on point there. I do think that without making any sort of big speeches or having these sort of dramatic moments, aside from General Marshall's moment, the movie has a lot to say about war without spelling it out. Like you, you sort of pick up the themes based on the actions of the characters, the whole idea of, you know, the one is sacrifice for the many mm-hmm. kind of thing. The idea of the morality of war, you know, what is a right or wrong action right. in the middle of war. Some of the criticisms of war. Some of the criticisms so of war. And again, I, I he stripped away what I think is usually traditionally found in, in sort of war films of like this this love of country sort of language and talk of greater good. And it is more about these individuals and the choices that they're making on the ground uh, that are, you know, contribute to, but are sort of separate from this sort of larger framework right. of the war, of how we sell war. Right. Um, what I will say, one of the, the interesting things that I think the framing device, device does and the scene with, with General Marshall is that it sort of paints that picture of when you're not in war, it's sort of easy to tell this other story about what war is and wrap it in this sort of idealistic right. morality. But when you're actually in war, you know, the choices are different and the, the sort of way we measure the good and bad of a man becomes different. Right. So, Yeah. Okay, so here's another review. This is not a positive review, and there were a few really? not positive reviews. Another another Chicago person. This is Jonathan Rosenbaum at the Chicago Reader. He says, Steven Spielberg's 1998 exercise in Oscar-mongering <laughs> is a compilation of effects and impressions from all the war movies he's ever seen, decked out with precise instructions about what to think in Robert Rodat's script and how to feel in John Williams' hokey music. There's something here for everybody. War is hell. War is father figures. War is absurd. War is necessary. War is surreal. War is exciting. War is upsetting. War is uplifting. And nothing that suggests an independent vision, unless you count seeing more limbs blown off than usual. (laughs) So, I mean, mean, that, he actually, I don't interpret the film the way he does, but he actually puts his finger on what I like about it, is that it does show all of these different interpretations of what war is. We have these moments of just like pure absurdity that could come out of MASH or Catch-22 or something like that, where it's just like bureaucracy Mm -hmm. and ridiculous thinking. And um, and then we have these moments of graphic horror. And then we have these little patriotic moments. To me, that's appropriate. And that's the full picture. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, it comes back to that thing of like, I never know quite how to view Spielberg. He sees that as manipulative. It's, you know, Spielberg took every war movie he's ever seen from, you know, Apocalypse Now to the Big Red One to The Longest Day and just threw it into a blender. And this is what he got. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's a, uh, yeah, I didn't feel that way, but again, I haven't seen a lot of those films, so I wouldn't necessarily know, oh, he took that from mm-hmm. this film or this film or this is derivative of, of this. Um, I mean, it, I think if you're going into it looking for a film that is 
cleanly anti or pro war. This is definitely not what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I think it's I think it's a fair sort of postmodern view of World War II, which right. is that we understand now. That war is hell. Right. That war is always hell. That it is disorganized. That it's not always honorable. That sometimes it is just random. Mm-hmm. And, but we still think that war was worth fighting. Right. And that's so. That's what to me Spielberg has kind of merged together mm-hmm. in this movie. So it's it's pro that war, but it's still an anti-war movie. Right. Right. Which is a tricky balance to pull off, but I think he does. Yeah. Even if. Some of, like, the framing sequences air a little on the side of Hokum, air a little on the side of let's honor the troops kind of thing. No, I think that's true. And then, and yeah, when you look at it as not um, a sort of treatise on war so much as it is a document on World War II specifically, I think then maybe the expectation should be a bit different than Mm -hmm. it would if it were dealing with some some other conflict. Um, Right. I don't don't think Spielberg would have made this movie about Vietnam. Right. I don't think it would have been appropriate. Right. I don't see Spielberg doing a Vietnam film. Like, I don't think that's his milieu. (laughs) All right. Do you have a uh, favorite part of the film? (laughs) Um, I mean, like I've said, that 30 minutes of the storming of Omaha Beach is Mm -hmm. pretty powerful filmmaking. Really impressive. That would probably be, if I were to have a favorite, that would be my favorite part. Uh, And then Tom Hanks, because I think he's, he's, I love Tom Hanks. We started out, you said that you don't particularly like watching war movies. Mm-hmm. How was your viewing experience? I mean, yeah, I would prefer not to see people picking up their arms <laughs> and holding their uh, their intestines in. That would be awesome. Um, was there one one scene in particular that was horrific for you that you just... I mean, the the scene on the beach where the there's a guy, there's a soldier, and literally his entire, it's, it, his system is just on the beach, like, yeah. and he's sort of cradling his intestines. Kind of trying to shove it back Right, in. and it's just like, that's, mm, okay, that's compromised. There's sand everywhere. Um, <laughs> You're really worried about the sanitation here. <laughs> I don't even, like, when people talk about, oh, let's have sex on the beach, don't do that. <laughs> You're just going to end up with sand in your crevices, and you're going to be, like, making pearls for a while afterwards. So the idea of then trying to put somebody's fucking insides back in and, like, wiping off sand, like, just, it's done. It's over. It's over. Um, (laughs) So it's like trying to pick up an egg that you dropped. Fuck that. It's done. Um, (laughs) One thing I never realized until I, I think it was watching... Band of Brothers. There's a there's a medic character in there. These guys were not doctors. Yeah, they weren't like most of them were not trained yeah. as doctors. No, it's they, triage. They learned, Stop the blood. Right. right. They learned basic. And then imagine being that guy yeah. on that beach yeah. trying to like like where do you even start? Right. No, you don't. Like you look around and it's like where do you even start trying you to help? Somebody give them some morphine that, to that? ease their journey. That's what you do. <laughs> Hit, it, hit this morphine because this is the end for you. Um, so yeah, I mean, so th- there was there was definitely just some. I also don't like to see people vomit, so that's hard for me. Uh, so right from right off, yeah. The so bat. right from the time, I was like, oh god, uh, <laughs> not for a metaphor. I can't deal with seeing people vomit, but otherwise, it wasn't like difficult to watch. Um, were you tense watching it? Like, were you emotionally um, involved? Nervous. Because I do watching this, I get tensed up. I get involved in it to the mm-hmm. point where it's just like. I mean, there were a couple moments um, where 
the coward up him is hiding and the German soldiers are like walking right above his head. Yeah. He's sort of just hiding down in like a ditch. Yeah. Um, that, there, that was some tenseness there for me. And again, we're watching that thinking that what he's supposed to do is get up. Right. And fight them. And it's, like, and no, it's like, stand the ditch, right. hide the ditch. You first. <laughs> so just like, like, if we're, if we're honest about right. it, it's like, yeah, Absolutely. you first. No, yeah, there's no, I have no delusions of grandeur at all. So yeah, I mean, there are a couple of scenes that were, that had that sort of, um, energy to it the other being um when adam goldberg's character is fighting the Nazi. that's a horrible scene it's a that's a hard scene. scene to watch and it's it goes it feels like it and goes it just, on for a long time it just time. gets so intimate it does because they're basically just rolling around on the ground together yeah. um and at any moment somebody can get the upper just, hand he, finally he's just like stabbing him yeah. very slowly and adam goldberg's and, like, like no 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 wait 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 wait, 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 right. wait, wait. like and wait just... let's talk about this <laughs> So that's a, yeah. that was a tough scene, um, and then going and and seeing up him just on the staircase, listening to yeah, and just you know, can't and can't to take can't step. move. So that was a tough scene, and then you never like to see Tom Hanks die. I mean, Tom Hanks is not supposed to die. <laughs> so, but yeah, good war film. So you're happy you saw it. I don't know if I would say I'm happy I saw it. I don't regret watching it. So you want to watch more war movies? Absolutely not. No. I am almost certainly going to sit down now and watch all 10 hours of Band of Brothers in a binge, because that's how I roll. I will be sitting down and watching marathons of RuPaul's Drag Race, because <laughs> that's how I roll. <laughs> want to talk about war? See, I watch something like this. Soldiers. I want more. <laughs> and you were of the palate cleanser I am philosophy. of the palate cleanser. I need to... Like, we watch we watch a horror movie, you then immediately need to go watch some cartoons. Yeah, I need to... I can't... Because I can't sit with it. Um yeah. No, I need to find some way to sort of... This is a difference between us. Like, get I, I get in a mood for this, and then I'm Mm-mm. like, okay, I want more like this. Because then it's like, you're bummed out, so you need something to sort of even you out a little bit. You sound like a drug addict. But <laughs> yes, <you do. laughs> Took some downers, now I need some uppers. Need a little bit of uppers. So, but that is what it is. It's like, I need to go look at something a bit more pleasant. Um, that doesn't mean I forget, or that I didn't appreciate what I just experienced. It just means that... I need to rebalance or else I'm going to be either sad or angry or whatever, you know, the film, the mood the film put me in for the rest of the day. Okay. Well, we'll uh, try to find you a a palate cleanser for next week. Okay. (laughs) Appreciate it. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week for our very special Easter edition as we sit down for Nakia's first viewing of a sacred classic, Monty Python's Life of Brian. I only recognize one sacred Easter classic. And what would that be? It is the Ten Commandments with the bare-chested Yule Brenner as Ramses. You know that's not actually an Easter movie, they, right? They play it every Easter, though, and I yeah, watch it literally every Easter. I guess it's a Passover movie, not an Easter it, movie. Old it, Testament, not New Testament. What I'm saying is, growing up in my home, and <laughs> since I've left my home, I watch the Ten Commandments every fucking yes, year. Yes, I know you do. <laughs> It's the one movie you don't complain about being seven hours long. Well, and full of just white people. <laughs> just when full they of white people. Be white. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is but your hypocrisy <laughs> movie. I have a deep, weird love for the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Mainly it's about Yul Brenner, but it's also just the ridiculousness of it. I love it. 
All right. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at freerangecritic, or send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a movie that Nakia needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means subjecting your partner to movies they really, really don't want to watch. This movie made me kind of want to join up. What about that made you want to join up? I, I just, I feel like I would thrive in that environment. You would absolutely not thrive. I love you dearly, but you would not <laughs> thrive in more. You can't take your espresso machine with you. <laughs> You'd be like Upham's typewriter. Exactly. Can I bring my espresso machine along with me? You would not thrive in more. I don't think you would be good. <laughs> <laughs> I might be a little out of shape for that kind of work. be more than a little bit out of shape for that kind of work. I might be a little old for that kind of work at this your point. Your eyes aren't great, so <laughs> sniper wouldn't be your job. Back pain, shoulder pain. <laughs> and how about you? Oh, hell no. You're you're in better shape. You're younger than I am. You're in better shape than I am. I think maybe. I have endometriosis. <laughs> okay. So there's a number of days out of the month where I cannot move, and if you ask me to do something, I'm going to tell you go fuck yourself. <laughs> so that's probably not going to happen. You know, I would not do well. You're pretty hostile, so I am hostile. Fight the fighting part, you'd be good at. I mean. If I actually trained, I do secretly want to be able to kill someone with my hands. Right. But I'm not sure I'd be any good. Well, it's, it's not a decision to enter into lightly, so <laughs> give it some thought before you sign up.